Ezekiel chapter number 8 tonight. I'm thankful that God is always faithful. We're not. We're not. None of us are. And by the way, I think we presume upon that sometimes. We shouldn't. I mean, He's going to be faithful no matter what we do. But uh, I think we take that for granted sometimes. I know we do. We take it for granted. And um, God help us. Ezekiel chapter number 8. Ezekiel was one of the 10,000 captives that was taken to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar at the time uh, that Zedekiah, excuse me, Zedekiah began his awful reign. And so Ezekiel spent approximately 11 years in Babylon before the final destruction, the final deportation, the final captivity, the final destruction of Jerusalem. Ezekiel began, and we know that by what the Bible tells us, but he began prophesying in the fifth year that he was there, five years after he was taken captive to Babylon, Ezekiel began to prophesy. And so for approximately six years, Ezekiel prophesies still what is going to happen to Jerusalem. And if you read the book of Ezekiel for about the first half of the book, really from chapters 1 to about chapter 24, it's pretty much Ezekiel is still speaking about what is to come in Jerusalem. Now there's already been uh, captivity, there's already been a deportation, but the final judgment upon Jerusalem, the final captivity of Jerusalem has yet to take place. And so Ezekiel is still prophesying that. Ezekiel's messages were primarily in the form of visions, of sign sermons, and then toward the end, in direct prediction. And in these first 24 chapters, there are 10 different sign sermons, sign action sermons, if you will. And by the way, they were so because the Lord had told Ezekiel that he would be dumb until the fall of Jerusalem. I want us to see that real quickly, and then we'll get into our message tonight. Look back, I had you turn to chapter 8, but look at chapter number 3. And so Ezekiel is using these object lesson sermons, if we could use that phrase, because for all intents and purposes, God has closed his mouth. Now, he hasn't stopped giving him the message. Ezekiel still has the message. Notice what it says in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse number 26. He says, And I will make thy tongue cleave to the roof of thy mouth, that thou shalt be dumb. And shalt not be to them a reprover, for they are a rebellious house. Now, he's going to still reprove, but he's going to do it with these messages through almost, we, we would use the phrase, object lessons. Now, he's still going to preach to them. He's still going to reprove them. Go, go further. Look at, look at chapter number 24, Ezekiel chapter number 24, and verse number 27. Ezekiel 24, 27, it says, In that day shall thy mouth be opened to him which is escaped, and thou shalt speak, and be no more dumb, and thou shalt be a sign unto them, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Now, what he tells him is that when Jerusalem falls, then that's when your mouth is going to be opening. And by the way, this doesn't, 
necessarily have anything to do with the message tonight, but these messages that and these visions that Ezekiel gets in large part are because of what God had told him about his speech, about him not being able to, to, to speak. Then one more verse, one more passage, chapter number 33, verse number 21. Ezekiel 33 and verse 21, the Bible says, It came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, in the tenth month, in the fifth day of the month, that one that had escaped out of Jerusalem came to, excuse me, came unto me saying, The city is smitten. Now the hand of the Lord was upon me in the evening, afore he that was escaped came and had opened my mouth until he came to me in the morning and my mouth was opened and I was no more dumb. And in chapters 8 through 11, Ezekiel, or excuse me, the Lord reveals to Ezekiel the wickedness that had taken place in Jerusalem and that continued to take place in Jerusalem the wickedness that was bringing the judgment upon Jerusalem, the final judgment upon Jerusalem, the Lord reveals that to Ezekiel in chapters 8 through 11. And He shows him why it was absolutely necessary, that why it was absolutely demanded that judgment come. And I want to look at that tonight. I want us to look at Ezekiel chapter number 8. Let's begin reading in, actually, let, let me just read verse number 12. We're going to go back and get the whole context. But let me read verse 12, because this is going to be our, where we're going to get our title tonight. Ezekiel chapter 8 and verse number 12. Then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery. Notice this. For they say, the Lord seeth us not. The Lord hath forsaken the earth. And so tonight I want to preach to us for the next few moments regarding that subject in verse number 12. The Lord seeth us not. Now we look at that and we think how foolish, don't we? Right? Because the Lord sees everything. We know that. By the way, Israel knew that as well. The Jews knew that as well. But they had come to a point in their lives and in how they were living and what they were doing that they said, first of all, they said, God has forsaken the earth. It's funny how when we disobey God and God has to do what He told us He would do, then man says, well, God has just forsaken. No, God is doing exactly what He told us. God is bringing about exactly to the land of Judah, to Jerusalem, to the people of Judah, exactly what He promised them, exactly what He told them. But they say in their pride, the Lord seeth us not. And so tonight, I, I really, and, and I know this is Wednesday night, folks, and... Maybe this should be a different service, a message for a different service. I don't know, but this is where the Lord brought us tonight. And I want to challenge us tonight. Look, if there's anything hidden in our hearts tonight, God already knows it. God already knows it. 
And by the way, as we go through, especially chapter 8, because primarily chapter 8 is going to be our text tonight. As we go through that, let's ask God to help us not to say, well, I would never do that. And instead, ask God, God, search me and show me if I'm actually doing anything akin to that. I, 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 would, I would never serve idols like that. I would never do anything like that. Okay, but people miss church on Sunday and Wednesday because their kids have to play ball. Can I tell you what? That's an idol. Can I tell you what? That's just as bad as what they're doing in Ezekiel chapter number 8. Anything we put ahead of God is an idol. Anything I put ahead of God. By the way, I can put my kids ahead of God. That's an idol. My kids can become idols to me when I put them ahead of Almighty God. When something else takes the preeminence in my life above the Lord Jesus Christ, I at that moment have made an idol. And I have placed other gods above the true God. And that is what's happening in Ezekiel chapter number 8. And so I want us to see four different groups of individuals, groups of things tonight, and hopefully be a help and encouragement to us, really a challenge to us tonight. This, this verse I, I read through, and, and I've read this before just like probably all of y'all have, but uh, a few, uh, probably about a month and a half ago I read through Ezekiel chapter number 8, and Ezekiel 8 just gripped my heart about the iniquity and the idolatry that Judah was involved in. And it gripped my heart because the thought was, Lord, I, I, I don't ever want to get to that point in my life, whether as just a dad, as, as a husband, even as a pastor, Lord, don't, don't ever, I, I don't ever want to allow something to come ahead of you. And think about God's earthly chosen people who had seen Him do so many wonderful works. By the way, just like we have. And they still turn their backs on Him. And so God, please help us tonight that we don't ever get it in our minds. Well, that would never happen to me or I would never do anything like that. Because I can imagine some of these folks probably said the same thing at one point. The Lord seeth us not. Father, help us tonight. Teach us. Remind us. Challenge us tonight. And we'll surely thank you for it. Father, help our children and the teenagers that are gathered here tonight, all the workers and helpers. Father, I pray that you'd use us. And Father, help us to be a people who stay square with your word, stay true and faithful to you. Father, I'm so thankful that you are faithful in spite of who we are. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be faithful as well. It's our reasonable service. And so, Father, I pray that you challenge our hearts tonight. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Number one tonight, I want us to see, first of all, the secret sins. The secret sins. Look at verse number one, if you will. We're just going to read through Ezekiel chapter number eight. I want us to see, first of all, the secret sins. The Bible says in verse number one, It came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house... And the elders of Judah sat before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell there upon me. Then I beheld, and lo, a likeness as the appearance of fire, from the appearance of his loins even downward fire, and from his loins even upward, as the appearance of brightness as the color of amber. 
And he put forth the form of an hand and took me by a lock of mine head. And the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provoketh to jealousy. Number one, the secret sins. What's he speaking about there in verse number three when he says, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provoketh to jealousy. He is speaking about the temple and specifically there he is speaking about the inner gate. He says that looketh toward the north and there as he looks into the temple he sees the image of jealousy which provoketh to jealousy. This was probably an idol of either Baal or Ashtaroth. This could have been a reference to when, by the way, God told Judah that because of what Manasseh did in Judah that there was no turning back. Now they had some revival and they had some reformations and they had uh, Josiah who came in and, and took down the image of Baal, but God said, look, it's already settled. It's, it's already coming. Judgment is coming. So it may be a reference to Manasseh putting the, the idol of Baal in the temple there. Now, we, like I said, we know that Josiah took that down when he came to be king. Maybe Zedekiah set up a new one. We don't know that. But he sees an idol of Baal. The image of jealousy, he says. Now, hold your place here. I want you to go real quickly. I want you to go back to the book of Exodus with me. Exodus Chapter number 20, a couple of years ago, actually I think it's been about three years ago now, we had uh, on Wednesday nights, we always send home, we send home, take home sheets with the kids and on those sheets there's a verse on the front and a verse on the back and, and normally or sometimes there's a coloring page on the front and the back or sometimes just on the back and the kids learn those verses and they, they color those pages and they get master bucks, they get points if they'll bring that the next week. Well, uh, one week, one of the verses that was on there was one of the verses that we're going to look at in just a moment. Exodus 20, verse number 5. It's not this verse, but we'll see the verse in just a moment. The Bible says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a what? Am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Now look at chapter number 34, Exodus chapter number 34. We know Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. And he tells them they're not to have any gods before him. They're not to make any graven images because he is a jealous God. Exodus chapter number 34 and verse number 14. The Bible says, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a what? A jealous God. He's jealous of His people. Just like a husband ought to be jealous of his wife, ought to not want any other man to talk to her or flirt with her. God is jealous of His people. I had that verse on that sheet because it went along with what we were teaching that week. And I had one little girl come back the next week and she quoted the verses. She could quote the verses. She did the one on the front and the back, the bonus on the back. But when we got to the one on the back, which was Exodus 34, 14, she looked at me and she told me, she said, that's not right. And she's probably about 10 years old. And she looked at me and she said, that's not right. I said, sweetie, what are you talking about? She said, our God is not a jealous God. Now, I don't know where she heard that. Now, I assume I know where she heard it. I assume she heard it at home because it wasn't very long. It was only a few weeks later she quit coming. Their family didn't come very much anyway, but they always brought their kids on Wednesday night and they quit coming. Listen, the Bible is the Bible. That's true. God is a jealous God. 
And God is jealous of His people, whether it was the, His chosen earthly people, the Jew, or whether it's His church today, the bride that He's calling out for Himself. He is jealous of us. He desires for us to be faithful to Him. And the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter number 8 that Ezekiel sees this vision and he sees the image there in the, uh, by the inner gate of the temple. And the Bible says that it provoked to jealousy. That's not a bad thing. Uh, the Bible says in verse number 3, where was the seat of the image of jealousy which provoketh to jealousy. We're talking about the secret sins. Verse number 4 of Ezekiel chapter number 8, And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, according to the vision that I saw in the plain. By the way, it's a good thing that the glory of God is there. Okay, We're going to see that at the end. Verse number 5, Then said he unto me, Son of man, lift up thine eyes, now the way toward the north. So I lifted up mine eyes the way toward the north. And behold, northward at the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy in the entry. He said, Furthermore unto me, Son of man, seest thou what they do? Even the great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here, that I should go far off from my sanctuary. But turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. He said, Look, we're not going to have to go any further than the sanctuary, Ezekiel, to see what's going on in Jerusalem. We don't, we don't have to go to people's houses. We don't have to go into the streets of the city. Ezekiel, we don't have to go any further than the sanctuary to see what the problem is in Jerusalem. Verse number 7. And he brought me to the door of the court. And when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. Then said he unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall. And when I had digged in the wall, behold, a door. And he said unto me, Go in. And behold, the wicked abominations that they do here. So I went in and saw, and behold, every form of creeping things, an abominable beast, and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. What were they doing? They had the images of the beast and the creatures. By the way, I believe, and you might disagree with me on this, but I believe they had the images of the gods of Egypt from where they had come out in the sanctuary and they're worshiping them. I don't know if it were, if, excuse me, if it was the gods of Egypt, but that's what it seems like because that's what Egypt worshiped were frogs and bulls. That's why the plagues were specifically toward those different groups because that's what Egypt worshiped. And every one of the plagues was a strike against one of the gods of Egypt. And now in the sanctuary, that's what's happening. He said, I saw all form of creeping things, an abominable beast, and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. And there stood before them 70 men of the ancients of the house of Israel. By the way, men who should have known better. The ancients of the house of Israel, and in the midst of them stood Jezaniah, the son of Shaphan. By the way, anybody know who Shaphan was? You remember who Shaphan was? He was the scribe who read the book of the law to King Josiah. And now here his, excuse me, here's his son, who is the ringleader of false worship, of worshiping these false gods and idols. Look what it says. Jezaniah, the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. They, they are burning incense in idol worship in the sanctuary. 
We read verse number 12. Then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery, for they say, The Lord seeth us not, the Lord hath forsaken the earth. He said also unto me, Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. Well, isn't that enough? Haven't we seen enough already? They're they're worshiping an idol of probably Baal or Ashtaroth. We We know it's an image or it's an idol that brings jealousy from Almighty God. They went further and they're seeing all the images on the walls that the people are worshiping. And by the way, not not just any people. The Bible says the ancients of the house of Israel. And he says, Ezekiel, that's that's not even the worst. He said also unto me, Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. And behold, there sat women, excuse me, women, weeping for Tammuz. Tammuz was a pagan female deity of Babylon, often referred to as the mother of God, little g, or the queen of heaven. Pagan legend says that uh, her virgin-born child died. And so the women are weeping for her. In Roman culture, she was known as Venus. In Greek culture, she was known as Adonis. And the people of Israel, the Jews, the people of Jerusalem. Verse 14, look where they're at. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north, and behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Then said he unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than these. We're talking about the secret sins. He brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men. By the way, who, were, who would have these men been? Look, look where it says they're at. He brought me into the inner court. These would have been the priest. He brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, and they worshipped the sun toward the east. Not the S-O-N, but the S-U-N. They're no longer worshipping the Creator, they're worshipping the creation. But He's not finished. Then he said unto me in verse number 17, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Is it a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence and have returned to provoke me to anger. And lo, they put the branch to their nose. It was the idea that they were thumbing their nose to God, to Jehovah. A pagan custom was to place a bundle of tamarisk cuttings. It was just a shrub to the nose at daybreak while they sang odes and sang songs about the dawning of a new day. He says they put the branch to the nose. Therefore, will I also deal in fury. Mine eyes shall not spare Neither will I have pity, and though they cry in mine ears with a loud voice, 
yet will I not hear them. Number one tonight, we see the secret sins. We might say, well, Pastor, I would never do anything like that. I say it again, anything we put above God has become an idol in our lives. I don't care if it's an idol of Baal or if it's the ball field. It doesn't matter if it's images on the walls of the sanctuary that they're burning incense to. Or if it's the gods of America, whether they be entertainment, whether they be Hollywood, whether they be education, whether they be money, whatever the gods of America that we may serve, that Christians may serve, it doesn't matter. They're still gods. The secret sins. I am amazed at times the things that Christians talk about the things that Christians post, I'm not talking about anybody in here tonight, but the things that Christians talk about, the things that Christians post, the things that Christians are okay with, it's wicked. It's wicked. And we're okay with it today. You say, well, Pastor, we're not, we're not as bad as that. Okay, if, if, if we want to make that argument, but we're sure headed that way. By the way, think about some of the foolish things that churches allow into their buildings today. I'm not saying it's idols of Baal, but where where do they get some of the foolishness that they bring into the church? Where are they seeing it? Where where did these Jews, where did Judah learn how to do the things that they learned how to do? They learned it from Egypt and they learned it from the heathen people in the land where they lived that God had told them you're supposed to drive them out and don't you do what they do. That's where they learned it. Where do we learn to do some of the foolishness that we do in churches today? We learn it from the world. God has never and will never need the world's ideology to do His work. Never. Well, if we're going to win the world, then we, 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 have, to, we have to associate with them. We, we, we have to know who they are. Yes, we have to know who they are. That doesn't mean I have to be like who they are. I absolutely need to know who they are. By the way, the Bible tells me who they are. But we allow foolishness. And I would even say wickedness to enter the church building. You say, well, pastor, it's just a building. I understand that, but it's a place where we corporately worship every week, several times a week. But if we want to make that argument, then the Bible says that I'm the temple. Okay, if we want to make that argument, then every single one of us is a temple. The Bible tells us that. We've been bought with a price. We're the temple of God. We're a temple. So what do we allow into our eye gates? What do we allow into our ear gates? We're the temple. Secret sins. So number one tonight, we see the secret sins. In verse number 8, or excuse me, 18, he says, Therefore, hey, Ezekiel, I'm showing you. Judgment's coming. Ezekiel, you have already seen part of it. However, many of the people that had been taken in the first deportation... They thought that was probably about it, that, that, that nothing else was going to happen and that very soon they'd be back in Jerusalem. 
we're God's people. God always comes through for us. God, God always brings, uh, he, he always jumps in and delivers us. And God is showing, the Lord is revealing to Ezekiel, no, 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 Ezekiel, the final destruction and judgment of Jerusalem is coming. He says, therefore will I also deal in fury, mine eyes shall not spare, neither will I have pity. And though they cry in mine ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them. Chapter number 9, number 2. Number 1, we see the secret sins. Number 2, we see the righteous remnant. We see the righteous remnant. Chapter number 9, He cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge of the city to draw near even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man upon them, excuse me, among them was clothed with linen with a rider's inkhorn by his side, and they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. And the glory of God of Israel was gone up from the cherub whereupon he was to the threshold of the house, and he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the rider's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. See, there was still a righteous remnant in Jerusalem. There were still people who were grieved over what was being done. Now, think about this in chapter number 8. Who was involved in the secret sins? It was everybody, top down. It was the priest. It was the princes, and it was just the normal regular folks, the normal regular people. It was from top down. Everybody was involved. And by the way, the Bible says, I believe it's in the book of Jeremiah, the Bible says they loved to have it so. They liked it that way. Whether it was the, the priest or the prince or the people, the, the people liked that the priests were that way. The priests liked that the people that were that way, there was no pushback against the priest or the princes. They loved to have it so, but... There was still a righteous remnant who were grieved over what was going on in Jerusalem and specifically the sanctuary, the temple. And the Lord said unto them, verse 4, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the fords of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others He said in mine, in mine hearing, Go ye after Him through the city. Okay, there's six individuals. One of them is clothed in linen. He has the inkhorn. He's the one that goes through and he puts the mark on the forehead. And then he said to the rest of them, to the other five, he said, follow him. You, you go after him. Go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. But come not near any man upon whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. That's an interesting phrase. What does the Bible tell us in 1 Peter 4, 17? It says, For the time has come that judgment must begin where? Where does he start? It starts at the sanctuary. It starts at the house of God. He said, we're going to start right here in verse number 6 and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. And he said unto them, Defile the house and fill the courts with the slain. Go ye forth. And they went forth and slew in the city. What he's showing him in, in chapter number 9 is what's going to happen when Babylon comes for the, final, excuse me, for the final captivity. 
He said, this is what's going to happen. And it came to pass while they were slaying them and I was left that I fell upon my face and cried and said, Oh, Lord God, wilt thou destroy all the residue of Israel in thy pouring out of thy fury upon Jerusalem? Then he said unto me, or excuse me, then said he unto me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceeding great. And the land is full of blood and the city full of perverseness. For they say, The Lord hath forsaken the earth and the Lord seeth not. And as for me also, mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity, but I will recompense their way upon their head. And behold, the man clothed with linen, which had the inkhorn by his side, reported the matter, saying, I have done as thou commanded me, as thou hast commanded me. He put the mark on the righteous remnant. They were spared. There were still people who were grieved at the sin, at the perverseness in Jerusalem, and especially at the sanctuary. And dear friend tonight, church member tonight, it ought to grieve us. First and foremost, my sin ought to grieve me. My sin. When I fail as a dad, as a father, as a pastor, as a, just as a Christian, my sin ought to grieve me first and foremost. The sin of our church family ought to grieve me. The sin of my, our nation ought to grieve me. By the way, in the book of Daniel, when Daniel prays, he's not just praying for himself, he's praying for his nation. He's praying for his nation. And that sin ought to grieve us. Number one, the secret sins. Number two, the righteous remnant. Number three, and we've already seen it here in Ezekiel 9, the weapons of wrath. Again, Ezekiel 9 is prophesying of the coming of the Babylonians. The judgment begins at the sanctuary, the weapons of wrath. And then I want us to see number four, we need to be done. Number one, we see the secret sins. And number two, we see the righteous remnant. Number three, we see the weapons of wrath. And we would say, oh, how, how horrible, horrific. Ezekiel's crying out and saying, oh, Lord God, are you going to destroy everything? And we would say, how horrific is Ezekiel chapter number nine? But that's not even the bad part. That's not even the bad part. Look back at chapter number 4 with me if you would. And let's walk through. Ezekiel chapter number 4 and verse number 4. Or excuse me, not, not chapter 4, chapter 8. We saw this just a moment ago. Ezekiel 8 verse number 4. The Bible says, And behold, the glory of God of Israel was there. Where? Is that the sanctuary? At the temple. It was still there. By the way, remember when the, the tabernacle was set up? The Holy of Holies? The Shekinah glory that filled the Holy of Holies? The glory of Almighty God. He says here in Ezekiel 8 verse number 4, the glory is still there. Okay, look at chapter number 9. We read this as well. Chapter number 9 verse number 3. And the glory of God of Israel was gone up. The glory of God lifts and is at the threshold of the door of the sanctuary of the temple. He said it was gone up from the cherub whereupon he was, excuse me, whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. Okay, look a little bit further. Chapter number 10, verse number 18. See, the, the weapons of wrath were horrific. The, the judgment of Babylon, when Babylon came in and they besieged and they ransacked the city. That was horrific. Read Lamentations. 
We, we've spoken about, we, we've preached from the book of Lamentations. Read Lamentations. Mothers boiling their children because they didn't have anything to eat. Horrific. Ezekiel chapter 10 and verse number 18. The Bible says, Then the glory of the Lord, what's the word there? Departed. From off the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubims. Look at chapter number 11. See, there's a progression. There's a progression. Ezekiel 11, verse 23. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain which is on the east side of the city. The glory is gone. The glory had left Jerusalem. The glory had left the temple and the glory was leaving Jerusalem. You know what the worst thing about secret sins is? It's when God's glory leaves. I'm not talking about somebody losing their salvation tonight. Remember in the story of Samson when he thought that he would do just like he always did? That he would jump up and be as strong as he always was? was. And the Bible says he wist not that the Spirit had departed from him. That's the worst thing. It's when God's glory has departed. And you know what leads to that? Secret sins. You know what leads to the glory departing in a home? Secret sins. Sins where people say, nobody sees, nobody knows. Even get to the point where they say, the Lord doesn't even know, He doesn't even see. Because they're so full of pride, they're so... Their conscience is so seared. You say the Lord doesn't even see. I'll be honest with you tonight, and I've said this before. I hear at times, I'm sure Brother Andrew hears as well, but you'll hear occasionally, and I'm thankful I haven't heard, I haven't heard any of these stories in a long, long time, and I'm very thankful for that. But there'll be times when you'll hear about stories of pastors falling into sin. Now again, they don't just fall into sin. It's, it's, it's step by step. But you hear pastors, they have to leave their church because they're involved in some extramarital uh, relationship. They've done something they shouldn't have done. How does that happen? How, how does a man get behind a pulpit and preach week after week after week with those things in his life? He seared his conscience. The glory has departed. See, that's the worst thing. Was the wrath that Babylon was going to bring on Jerusalem, was it going to be bad? Absolutely horrific. The city was going to be burned and ruined and reproached. But the worst thing was the glory was gone. How does glory leave a church? Secret sins. Secret sins. Some amazing imagery in my own mind in Ezekiel 8 when, when the Lord tells Ezekiel to look, to dig in the hole and to see what the people were doing in secret that they didn't think anybody knew about. 
But God knew. God always knows. The things we do when nobody's around and nobody sees and nobody's going to know, God always knows. Our, our, our spouses aren't around, so they'll never know. Nobody will know. The things we look at on our computers, nobody will ever know. God already knows. And the most horrific result and consequence is when the glory departs. But here's the wonderful thing. Look at chapter number 43. The secret sins, the righteous remnant, the weapons of wrath, God's glory that was gone. Look at chapter number 43. Chapter 43 speaks of the time of the millennial reign. In verse number 2, And behold, <laughs> the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, and His voice was like a noise of many waters, and the earth shined with His glory. And it was according to the appearance of the vision which I saw, even according to the vision that I saw when I came to destroy the city, and the visions were like the vision that I saw by the river Kabar. And I fell upon my face. And notice this. And the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate whose prospect is toward the east. So the Spirit took me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. The glory of the Lord left. But it's coming back. During that millennial reign, it's going to fill the house once again. You say, well, Pastor, if the glory has departed from my home, how do I get it back? Now, how do you get it back? Repentance. You acknowledge Him for who He is. What's going to happen during the millennial reign? They're going to see Him for who He is. They're going to acknowledge that He is the King of kings. They're going to acknowledge that He is the Messiah. How do I get the glory back? You acknowledge who He is. You acknowledge who you are. Acknowledge what you have done. Repentance, confession. I, well, aren't you thankful for chapter 43? The glory slowly. Chapter 8, verse 4, it's still there. Chapter 9, verse 3, it's still there, but it's at the threshold. Chapter 10, verse number 18, it lifts up and it goes to the mountain. Chapter number 11, verse 23, it's leaving the city. But chapter 43, verses 2 through 5, it's back. The Lord seeth us not. He does see and God help us tonight. And again, I know who I'm speaking to tonight. And I pray that there are no secret sins in our midst tonight. I pray that. And by the way, I don't preach this because I know of any. I don't. By the way, it wouldn't be secret if I knew, would it? I don't preach it because of that. I preach it because it's just there. But it's, if there are secret sins tonight, the worst and most horrific consequence is not that, well, you know, my family's going to be torn apart. That's, that's bad. But the worst part is the glory departs. The glory departs. I don't know that we totally understand in our finite minds the glory of God. It's, it's so full and rich. It, it's a word, glory and glorify is a word. It's, it's who He is, it's, it's what He has, but it's also something that we give Him. We give Him glory. And the glory was gone. I beg you tonight, I plead with you tonight. 
If there are secret sins in the life tonight, I pray that you get them right. And I pray that you'd pray that what happens in Ezekiel 8 would never happen here. You say, Pastor, it never could. Oh, yes, it could. There would never be false worship in this place. I'd ask that we would pray even tonight that we'd say, Lord, I I pray that I would never put anything above you, that there would never be anything more preeminent in my life than you. My job, my kids, activities, none of that would be more preeminent than the worship that I should give you. That ought to be our prayer tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness to us tonight. Father, what a challenging chapter. Ezekiel chapter 8. What, what a picture you give us of what was going on in Jerusalem. And more specifically in the temple. Father, may you help us tonight. I know all of us would say, well, I would never worship an idol. Like Bell, I, I would never worship images or pictures on a wall. I would never burn incense to those things. But God, would you help us tonight to say, Lord, I may never do those things, but Lord, would you help me never to place anything ahead of you, anything more preeminent than you, anything more preeminent than your work and your worship? Lord, I pray that you'd help us with that tonight. We all struggle with certain areas. But Father, help us tonight to understand how vital and important it is that you be preeminent, that as you say in the book of Ezekiel numerous times, that we would know that you are the Lord. Many things you did so that they would know that you were the Lord. Lord, may, may we note that. Lord, may the remembrance of that help us not to do those things. May the remembrance of that help us to keep you in the preeminent place that you deserve. Father, help us as we go to prayer. Father, I pray that you'd incline your ear toward us tonight. Give us safety as we go to our homes, and we'll thank you for it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. It's 8.05.